Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 3 of series 3 of an Inside View podcast. Big shout out to our sponsors, the Shire Bar and Cafe in Clarny, for the continued support. We really appreciate it, guys. This week, we're delighted to be joined by Dubai-based online coach, Dean Cassidy. The current man moved to Dubai a number of years ago and has since developed a strong presence in the Dubai Celts senior side. From the green fields of Kerry to the sandy beaches of Dubai, what has the change been like? from a cultural and a J perspective. There is no doubt we have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring him on. Hi Dean, how are you? Welcome to an Inside View podcast. Good Jamie, thanks. Thanks for having me. Firstly, you're one of the many Kerry lads over here flying the fag in Dubai, um, like myself, trying to anyway. But uh, can you give us an insight into why you decided to, to come to Dubai? Yeah, I can. Um... It was actually something that I never really had in my head. Um, I'm over here. This is my fifth year here now. Um, I graduated in 2017 from University of Limerick. And it was actually the last couple of months just before we did our final exams and before I had even my FYP handed up that we received an email from um, the head of the P department. And he had got it from the the world's teachers recruitment um, about this recruitment drive happening for the government schools over here for PE teachers. So um, I, myself and a few of the other boys in PE just said we'd throw our hat in. I suppose one of the big reasons for me was um, I quite like certainty and the whole prospect of being able to apply for something straight away rather than kind of having to wait till the following September and that, that bit of uncertainty about having to look for work and things like that, um, that kind of appealed to me. So. Um, yeah, went for it and thankfully got it, moved over here with a couple of friends. And uh, yeah, I suppose, as the saying goes, never look back. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And it's, it's uh, what I found interesting the last couple of months of settling in here, like it's uh, the perception definitely differs from the reality of, of Dubai. Did you have the similar, would you be similar in that, in that opinion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually did quite a bit of research now before I had come over and was a bit frustrated actually at the... The lack of information, I suppose, um, a lot of it, and I suppose I can understand that too, is, you know, um, diplomatic, a lot of the information that goes out and, and, and politically correct. And um, I found that some of the, say, the reality of life over here um, wasn't easily accessible or, or to kind of recognize that, especially if you hadn't been over here. Like most of uh, the lads I know who are over here had actually been on been here on holidays and I suppose like that then that opened their perception to it and kind of changed their assumptions um so actually when I was actually out here in, in my first year I, I wrote an article um it was just like moving to the UAE um it was like a 10 or, or 12 page kind of a pdf that I put out I, and I had a wordpress account at the time so I, I threw that out and I was just trying to to make it as clear for people who who were thinking about making the leap out here, especially for young teachers, um, because I suppose you know yourself, like those <laughs> misconceptions are, are far from what's what's the actual reality here. Definitely, no, definitely, definitely. It's, um, 
it's an amazing amazing city Dubai and the country itself you know the UAE is is, is amazing it's, it's close enough to home as well if something ever did happen you know you're only a flight flight away so it's, it's not too bad although the likes of myself and yourself have another four or five hour journey and from from that when you land into Dublin yeah yeah when we get to Dublin we're only halfway there so the key yeah. is to try and, and navigate it somehow that you're landing into Cork and it's not too bad then from there. I think you've even further to go than me then when you get into, if you get yeah. into Cork. <laughs> yeah, I do. I always say next stop America after my place, so that's <laughs> fairly far. <laughs> Look, Dean, just, I like, to, I, like, I like to ask people this and just kind of get your own opinion on it. The last 20 months or so or two years, whatever way you went, I suppose two years now coming up to... This week, COVID kind of kicked in and and just swept us, you know, swept everyone without with a warning. How do you deal with it, you know, from a personal and professional capacity, especially, I suppose, the first six or seven weeks that was very intense here in, in, in Dubai? Um, yeah, it was fairly intense here. I think we were kind of, we were slower. Thinking back now, we were slower to lock down at the time. Um, <laughs> we were still probably a bit in party mode and different things. Like I remember being, um, at 5 p.m. Jumeirah when I had heard about the lockdown coming into place at home or at least uh, schools and universities being shut down. Um, so there was a small bit of, um, I suppose we were a small bit removed from the reality of it for the initial phase of it. Um, and then when it did hit, obviously it was, it was quite severe here. There was, um, you know, we had to apply for a permit to leave the house um, for for. I think it was only every three days then you could you, you could apply for that um, and the initial few weeks. But I have to say, um, from a personal point of view, I was very fortunate um, living living with four other um, young Irish expats. Um, so from a social perspective, we were never really isolated, you know, and we had ourselves. Um, it's funny as well, from another personal perspective, I had um my girlfriend now of two years we had actually only kind of started seeing each other in the the initial kind of few weeks and um when when that came along then it was kind of a case of okay we either see a lot of each other now or we don't see each other at all so um we we chose the former and uh thankfully that worked out so straight, uh, straight into the deep end sink or swim straight into the deep end, <laughs> yeah so uh we weren't long finding out now if we were uh, compatible but um yeah i suppose there's been silver linings and like that now um we were quick to open up over over here um the gyms pretty much opened the gyms actually opened up quicker than than most workplaces so uh, when we were working from home we could kind of go to the gym during the day and things like that so that suited me um and yeah as far as you know the whole covid experience went i would have to say that ours was fairly um favorable really i mean we didn't there was never too many restrictions and um, we could still kind of go out for food and things like that. And I, I know back home in Ireland, they had it a lot more difficult than we had. So I suppose just being mindful of that and being grateful for, um, you know, how good we had it is important. In regards to training, you kind of touched on it there. Did it affect your training massively? Um, you could still probably go to the gym and stuff, but we say with, with the Celts, were you, were you training in, in groups and all that, or was it completely different here? It was completely different, yeah. So, um, as you know yourself, like we're it's 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 the middle of March now, and we're coming to the end of our season. So, um, the season over here is kind of September till till Patrick's Day weekend, and um, obviously COVID just kind of came in just before the end of the season. So that put a halt to that. I think the last 
league tournament and championship were pulled. So um, collective training was was just off the table, and um, we'd know more football then for um, up until more or less September of the year just gone. So September twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my training did change big time. Again, being fortunate, living with a few of the lads here, we were pretty quick on the equipment buzz. So um, we all chipped in and we got a squat rack and a barbell and a bench and a few dumbbells. And um, in fairness to the lads in the house, they'd be similar to myself in that they'd enjoy their training. So we managed to keep quite fit. Um, and then from my own perspective, I had a big training shift. So I would have always trained for pitch performance, um, don't get me wrong, I was, you know, <laughs> I've always been kind of, uh, have, have leaned towards the aesthetic side of things as well from, uh, that's probably just appealed to the, the shallow side of my personality, but um, that's more or less the, the complete way I went with it. I, I got in contact with um, a physique coach back home in Ireland, and I basically started training um, like a physique competitor. Um, it was in my head that I would compete um, in a physique type show um, when, when the time was right. So what I did with him then, it was, it was more or less, it, it, was, it went from kind of your, your kind of field-based conditioning and strength work to um, hypertrophy style training, training different body parts. So it was a small bit different to what I had done previously, but I really enjoyed it. It kind of gave me a focus and it was something that I could control. And that was important for me because um, I wasn't having to rely on external factors or things getting lifted. It was something that I could constantly keep working on and really enjoy the process of it. So, um, yeah, that was a big change for me on that front. Do you know, do, do, you, do you find um, a change there from going from pitch-based training to competing uh, individually on stages in regards to your fitness, fit, um, aerobic fitness and, and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the conditioning side of it um, is a lot different. It, it's funny. It's kind of choosing, uh, choosing your enemy when it comes to the, the aerobic side of, of things there, because, you know, when it comes to conditioning for GAA, um, you know, you're, you're obviously you're targeting your aerobic base, um, but you're also having to do a lot of kind of repeated sprint work and anaerobic conditioning, which is your tough training. And, um, you know, that's, that's a lot more taxing on the body, whereas when you're competing or, or training for body composition, like you're looking at cardio um a lot like not produ- um not in isolation but predominantly um for for energy expenditure so you are trying to do a, a bit of cardio so that you you know that you have a, a healthy cardiovascular system so that you're recovering better between your strength sessions so that you're you're getting your breath back faster when you're doing any higher intensity work or any power work um, but really you're just putting in a bit of cardio there to increase your overall like, energy expenditure, specifically when you're in a cutting phase. So um, that can be kind of taken out if you're in a gaining phase. Um, and a lot of the time it's, it's discarded or, or disregarded, but it should be in there from um, like a metabolic perspective, a health perspective, it should be in there anyway, but it's all pretty much low intensity work. Um, like a lot of the Stairmaster I kind of, when I was, you know, just training as a GA player, I kind of used to be, um, I suppose, a small bit um, condescending maybe of people who used to use a Stairmaster. I was kind of thinking, would you not go out now and do a few sprints or uh, do a bit of running? But like, it's, it's low impact. You know, it, it does get the heart rate up, you know, and it might be just 15 minutes at the end of your session. But if you're training four or five days a week, that's over an hour of cardio. Then you might put in another 30-minute uh, session and, you know, that 
that might be an extra 700, 800 calories across the week. And when you're tracking all of these things, all these kind of minor metrics do have an impact. And we say just before we go on any further, what if you had to look back now and thankfully lockdown and COVID is is hopefully it's in the rear view mirror, with God's help. Um, what do you think you've learned from that period? Well, as as cliche as it, as it is, it is just focusing on what you can control. Really, um, it, it's very easy to to get consumed by the external noise and and what's going out there. But for me, it's it really, and this was something that I probably had developed um, probably in university. And when I first started getting into training and things like that, recognizing what can I actually base my decisions off or what can I control? Is it my behaviors? What do I have power to influence? And um, COVID really brought that into um, just, just really highlighted the importance of that and, and being able to recognize what you can control, what you can't control, and why it's important to be able to, to know the difference between the two. How how do you go about structuring your week? Because your you know your 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 occupation is obviously teaching and, and working in that in that area, and then you're training full time yourself um, in the evenings or mornings, and then you're I know you're doing online um, online course at the moment. You're doing a master's in performance coaching, so. One thing that stands out here is time management is critically important. How do you go about approaching that? Um, make a lot of mistakes, first of all, anyway, and, and get it all wrong and get, get very stressed. Um, that's, that's probably a, an un- unavoidable part of it. But it is just, as you said, it is just scheduling. Um, like it, it, my, my Google calendar is, is probably filled until the end of April now, the start of May. Um, I'd be quite organized that way, I suppose. Um, and if I'm not, that does cause a small bit of stress and anxiety, but it is, it's just about scheduling everything in. Um, and as I always say, like, I, I won't always hit it, but if I can plan it in for my ideal day, um, you know, even if I hit it 90%, it's better than just not having those things written down and getting them done. Um, an important part of that as well is, is just recognizing what is the priority. And I always just say, like, put the first things first, schedule those in you know they're your non-negotiables they're, they're what have to be done and then you're kind of filling everything in besides that and um it, it is important to kind of recognize all these things and even when it comes to like your downtime and you know and spending time with my housemates and you know making time for my relationship and things like that um they actually they just need to be scheduled in two and that's something that i've um gotten a lot better at over the past couple of years um and yeah, I suppose now that things are kind of back to quote unquote normal, um, it's, it's something that's become a bit more of a challenge. More things are popping up, more events are on and things like that. And, and do you know what? Um, probably one of the most underrated things, and it's, it kind of crosses over between fitness and business and everything else, is just the ability to say no to things, you know, um, and not, not even having to justify why you're saying no, but just saying, no, I can't do that. Um, and, um, I heard something recently that was just like, no is, is a sentence, you know, you don't, you don't always have to justify that. Um, so that, that ability to just not, not take things up in, as, a, as they come um, and, and having what's important for me, for um, my fitness, my business, my clients, all of that, that's, um, that's basically how, it, how it's worked now. 
all that said and done, it's not, it doesn't always go to plan, but um, we're getting there. It's something that we're struggling through, but we're getting there. And in, in regards to online coaching, um, we'll, we'll look into that in a couple of minutes, but you know, do you factor in slots throughout the week to, do, to, to have touch bases with your clients? Or are, you, are you constantly available to them? Um, I do, yeah. So, um, well, I have a number of different kind of packages and, and levels of support for different clients, but for, for most of them, it, it would be like one weekly check-in um, and there'd be different touch points during the week. Then they might leave a comment on one of their workouts or they might just drop me a message. Um, and that's not to say that I'm, that I'm on my, you know, on, on WhatsApp 24 seven like that, but it, you know, it is something that I touch on every day. Um, and yeah, I, I'll have evenly distributed, say my, my check-ins with my clients from the start of the week till the end of the week. Um, and then I leave myself a bit of downtime at the weekend. And that's kind of something that I'll discuss with my clients at the start so that, you know, there's clear expectations there on both sides. But yeah, that's pretty much it. And I've been mindful over the past while, especially since starting the Masters, not to take on too much um, and, you know, not letting my ego get in the way, I suppose, as much as anything else. So that, um, you know, it's fair on every all stakeholders in, in the process. Definitely, you know, definitely, because you you could definitely take on too much there, and the only one that's losing out is yourself and the client as well. Um, in regards to the masters, um, is it a two year masters or what's the? Layout? So it's it's eighteen months. It's um it's fully online now. There are two on site on site weeks. Um, and yeah, they're they're optional. They are encouraged, all right, because um I think that. In, in terms of networking opportunities and um, actual learning opportunities from what I've heard now, they're very beneficial. But um, yeah, it's just the 18 months. It's split into six modules, so three, three months per module. Um, so I'm, I'm currently just into my second module at the moment and um, that will finish up now towards the end of March. Um, it's, this one has been a bit more challenging. Um, the, first, the first module was advanced conditioning and recovery methods. So that was super interesting now. Um, very related to everything that I'm dealing with in terms of um, the sports science and strength and conditioning side of things. But this one now is, is research methods and data management. So I'm, I'm thrown <laughs> straight back into leaving search statistics, which I wasn't too strong at. So uh, this one's been a bit more challenging. And just for people that don't know, it's, it's performance coaching. So this is something I obviously it's probably getting more and more important with teams now. Um, some issues, some things that would, would spring to light would be obviously, you know, with Limerick there, they had that that lady that, you know, they credit a lot of their success to. Um, and I, I'd imagine it's going to become more and more important going forward. Do you want to kind of explain your, your understanding or your opinion or interpretation of a performance coach? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I suppose performance coaching, it, it kind of draws on a, um, a few different disciplines um, as, as they pertain to, to outcomes and the experience of performance. Um, you're looking at physiology, you're looking at sociology, psychology, um, and how these interact with each other in order to ultimately get athletes and, and it, it is very much dealing with athletes. It is kind of high level. Um, it kind of goes beyond your your quote-unquote general population um, to maximize their performance um, in whatever athletic pursuit that is. So, um, yeah, like within the, the six modules that I'm doing, um, as I say, advanced conditioning and recovery methods has been one. We'll be looking at um, biomedical and uh, biomechanical factors. Um, sports nutrition will be another element of it. Um, 
So yeah, just just all of these um, pillars of performance, I suppose you're looking at, you know, your training, recovery, um, nutrition, lifestyle, and, and mindset factors, so your psychological factors as well, and how all of those contribute to, to maximizing uh, performance. And would the goal be to kind of immerse yourself in that environment at some stage when, when the time is right? Yeah, it would. Um, certainly the last kind of two to three years of, of working with different um, types of clients, I've gained a greater understanding of what kind of person I like working with and who I like helping and serving. And um, I myself, I've been involved in team sports since a very young age, and it's something that you know I'm engrossed in and, and, and follow um, passionately. So it's, it's definitely something that I want to pursue. And this, I feel anyway, is, is the path that I kind of need to go along um, in order to, to become involved in that for um, however long my career goes on for. And would it be would it be kind of the J route or you know ideally going for, well I suppose at the start you probably immerse yourself in as much as possible but absolutely yeah I think I think from you know what I gather it, it's it's just about taking out whatever experience you can um you know I know of a lot of um people who've gone into into the course and they might have had a, a GA background and they've gone on to work with professional rugby teams and um even I know um. Mikey Kiley there who, who's done so that it's it's the matches performance coaching the Tanta Mikey Kiley who some would know as the, the SNC coach who um, has been with the Limerick Hurlers for the last couple of years he's now gone on to the rugby but his background is actually working with jockeys so um, you know it, I suppose any of these principles of uh, performance uh, you know um, when it comes to strength and conditioning and things like that they do cross over to every other domain so beggars can't be choosers when I first start off but ultimately like GA is, is you know my own sport and what I'd love to be involved with so that would be the ultimate goal to get involved with that somewhere along the line brilliant brilliant, brilliant. um the reason I'm going to ask you this question though is because I, you know it, you probably you're probably the right person to ask because you would have experienced um you know working with with children or or teenagers but what's your feeling around nurture versus nature um it's kind of getting a bit deep but look we're 15 minutes into the podcast now so it's what's your what's your opinion on that or feeling around it yeah it's, it's an interesting concept um i would probably be leaning towards um saying how how important nature is really like um if i always say you know if you, if you want to be really if you want to be a really good sprinter make sure you uh, choose your parents wisely um i think i think it's they say that DNA isn't isn't everything, but it, it's more important than anything else. Um, and it's it's more important than everything else when it comes to determining who you are. Um, it's it, it's something that you you can't you know there's there's the, the science is there and and the research is there. I think it's. Um, I, I was listening to Modern Wisdom podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, there, there was a a, gen, a genetic biologist. Um on there a couple of months ago and i think it was something like 80 percent of um your iq correlates with your parents iq into late adulthood so um you know that that's a pretty damning uh figure um but as much as all of that is and you know taking that into account there's nothing you can really do about that so then it comes back to what i would have said at the very start here and saying what what can you control and that is your nature and and 
um, that, that developmental phase, environment, mindset, all of the things, the things you expose yourself to. So um, obviously, yeah, as um, someone who's come from a background in teacher education um, and someone who's, you know, involved in behavior change, I can see the, the power of behavior change firsthand and how it is possible to, to change a lot of um, our behaviors and decisions, um, which, which will ultimately, you know, determine our, our outcomes. Um, even if we can't exactly change, you know, what we're made of or, or what a large part of our character is made of. So there's kind of, um, you know, there's kind of a, a two prong approach depending on, on the situation as well. It's kind of a bit of both really, isn't it? It is. It is absolutely from, from anything I've heard, it, it's very 50, 50, it's kind of a yin and yang. Um, and I suppose, yeah, like one, once you kind of accept that, um, and, and you know, again, what, what impact and influence you can have, um, and you can be realistic about that, then that, that's all that matters there, really. Definitely, definitely. And look, I, I usually do this earlier in the podcast, but um, let's go back, because I, I think it's important for listeners to kind of gain an understanding into the, into the, uh, into the guest and kind of what shaped them into the person they are today. Would you have played any other sports as a child? I, I know football would be number one down our neck of the woods would you play hurling or a rugby or anything like that yeah i would i would um i i suppose the three i would have played a lot of would have been would have been football soccer and hurling um so um i'm i'm from kinmare down in south kerry and kinmare and kilgarvan are kind of the the two clubs outside of your north kerry stronghold um that actually that actually are dual clubs um, so I would have, yeah, I would have played a lot of hurling uh, growing up. My my uncle Jer would have been a um, a very strong hurler. My my mom's brother, um, and yeah, I would have kind of idolised him kind of growing up. So that would have nearly have been my first sport in terms of uh, a love of the game growing up. Um, football naturally just kind of takes over then when because you're, you're always going to be that bit more competitive um, and there's a bit more of an emphasis placed in schools and things like that. But um, soccer as well would have been um, something that I played a lot of. My, my dad actually grew up in Liverpool. He was born in Dublin, but grew up in Liverpool. So he's never mm. played any Gaelic football or, or, or hurling. Um, and he, yeah, he would have been a very good soccer player. He would have represented Kerry now at... Um, uh, um, he'll kill me now for forgetting the name of the... The, the, the inter-county competition that he played yeah, in the Kennedy Cup is it? no no at senior level now Oscar Trainer Oscar Trainer that's the one yeah so he, he would have represented Terry at that um, so yeah growing up would have just followed him playing with with an inter-Kimair team who were actually very successful they would have um, they would have been competing with the likes of Killarney Celtic and Trilly Dynamo so um, all the way up until about 17-18 I, I would have played soccer I would have represented Terry now at under 18 Um and then it was only really when I went to university that I couldn't commit to coming back at the weekends and playing just with weekend jobs and things like that. So um, that's kind of where football took over and definitely still played hurling. Um, won two, in, had two county intermediates, 2012 and um, 2014, I think, were the two years. Um, but since I've come to Dubai now, I've played very little hurling, really. It's just been all football. Um, 
But yeah, yeah, I think it's super important for, especially for young children. Um, you know, there's a lot of research behind the fundamental movement skills and, you know, they cross over between all the codes and, and you know, exposing yourself to, to those movements in the different sports, as well as, um, you know, the different, um, you know, cognitive benefits that you'd get from it and decision making skills and, and, and different things like that as well that you gain. I think it's, it's super important and really beneficial. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it, that's what I was going to actually ask you. It, you would so be in the mindset of having kids play as much sport as possible because it, it creates a more probably more skillful and more overall um, person, even like apart from the skills of both sports, but just teamwork and all that, that they can later apply in, in, in business or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for for getting in, involved in in team sport from you know in isolation even if it was just one sport from um you know working with others and and resilience and taking responsibility and different things like that but um yeah as it comes to fundamental movement skills being involved in different sports whether that be handling footwork for my own example there like I would have played on basketball and soccer teams there with Killian Spillane and um, you just have to look at him playing football now. It's like poetry in motion, his handling, the dummy, the dummy half and left and right leg. Um, and I'm, you know, there's there's thousands of examples like that. Would you not talk over the kills over here in hurling, though? No? Uh, I have done. I have done. Um, yeah, I've actually I've won intermediate Middle East uh, league medal Jesus. in hurling. Yeah. Um, but no, the last kind of two two or three years or so now I've just kind of concentrated on the football um, just just time-wise and I kind of get frustrated as well when I don't play enough hurling that I get frustrated when I'm dropping ball and not striking as cleanly whereas if I just put all my time into football and I'm playing a bit better than that I, I find that a bit more satisfying. And in regards to the football over here um, geez it really caught me by surprise not that well, it made much of a difference but it just it was, it was quite interesting just to see that it's a complete different sport. Obviously, it's still the J, but it's a complete different game, isn't it? It is. It is, yeah. Um, like, I, I, I would say, because, you know, I've, I've been over here just over four years now, I'm probably totally conditioned to play the style of football that we play out here now. Whereas when I first came out, um, you know, I was, I was shot happy. Um, I would have been a forward back home now for Kinmare. And, you know, I would have... We actually, one of the toughest things about moving out here was that we were just after getting to the, you, you'll know a lot of the, your listeners might know, the uh, club championship semi-final um, against Legion. And I had to move over here then before we played the club final against Dr. Croke. So I missed that. But I was, um, I was playing a lot of football before I came out here. And then the first few trainings, anytime I got my, you know, I, I got the ball in a bit of space, I was taking a shot on. And, um, you know, back home, even if you miss those, you know, if you had that time and space to take the shot on, you know, that there wouldn't be much said. But over here, it's uh, we have to be a lot more mindful of the ball. It's, it's possession football. You know, there are only 14 minute games. So every every possession carries that bit more weight. So I wasn't long <laughs> only taking on a higher percentage of shots then after that. And I think that's probably a good thing, too. I was probably that bit younger and a bit more naive. So maybe I've, that's one of the parts of my game I've developed over the last couple of years. Good job. No, you actually identified that because I was going to throw that to you. I, uh, I was speaking to a few of the guys and they, they mentioned that. Make sure I asked Dean about when he came over. He was shooting left, right and centre. They had to rein him back. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. I think uh, 
Andy Doyle especially you now he there was one training session I came back I'd say it was I was nearly my third year over here and maybe I only took on maybe two or three shots than to the eight or nine that I would have normally thought and he said do you grow a brain over the summer <laughs> <laughs> brilliant brilliant um and like what Looking back, like what advice would you give guys coming over? Because look, you probably have seen the last four years or the last three years when people are they're off the plane, they come playing football straight away, and they kind of want to make that name for themselves on the team or break into whatever side. You know, naturally we want to score and shoot left, right, and center to make your name and and see what type of team you can be in. What advice would you give to guys how to maybe approach a bit different? Yeah, and it's a difficult one because. You know, if if there's a light in there, if if you're not there shooting, is, it. yeah, exactly, and and you don't want you don't want fellas playing from uh, a position of fear. Like you still want lads to go out and back themselves and, and and you know play with that bit of courage and and go out and play with that bit of freedom. But there is a balance, I suppose. It's um, like game management is a huge thing here, and you know I've been lucky enough over the last couple of years that I've I've played with. Um, players who played at a high level at home and I think you can see it at inter-county level like and the last couple of years Dublin have been the the masters of game management and when they've been a couple of points up just slowing it down and different things like that and so having those players around you and um, I suppose the big thing would be just to just keep an open mind you know it's a different game and that was probably one of the things when I came over like maybe I had a a small bit of an ego maybe um, and I'm kind of thinking like who are these lads now who are playing football in the Middle East to be telling me now like what to do and when not to shoot and different things like this but um, I suppose from outside of the actual on the pitch then my, my advice would be just to get involved in absolutely everything from the very start you know um, I think that the football over here in the Middle East is what a lot about is, is a lot what the football should be about um if that makes sense so um like we 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 train three nights a week we train hard um you know we're we're very competitive when it comes to tournament days but there's no um you know there if if, if we had a tournament next weekend which we do and, and say some of the boys have visitors over this weekend or it was one of the lads is 30th like there'd be no drinking ban or um, you know, nobody will say anything if there's a genuine excuse to miss a session and afterwards everyone will go out together. And, and I love that the days of the tournament, you know, there's usually kind of a designated event and everyone will be out together. And, you know, we'll be out with like I'm, I'm playing against boys next weekend now who I've been in college with, who, I've, who you know, and like I know that happens at home as well. But I just think that that whole kind of community element of it and the enjoyment of football is really there. When I first came over, I was questioning whether or not I would actually play football out here. Um, you know, having come from a senior club in, in, in Kerry, you know, the commitment was quite high. You're having to make sacrifices. And I was thinking, you know, I'll just, maybe I'll, after Christmas now, I, I'll, I'll take up the football and I'll take a bit of a break. But then once you get to a few sessions, you hear like they're picking teams now in the next couple of weeks for the tournament at the end of September. And you're kind of like, right, well, I want to make that team. And you start getting on well with the boys and and you know you, you kind of want to contribute to what they're working towards um but i i've loved the ga since i've come over here I've, I've loved everything about it it's been a big part of my life and it's probably one of the reasons why i'm still here at the moment what would you say to guys that would have been, that are in a similar position as you 
as you were before, saying that I, I mightn't bother playing football over here. What would you say to guys who who would be in that mind frame? I would just say just go along. And it actually, I, I saw there's a couple of my friends who who only moved out this year, um, or or lads I knew from college, and was just kind of telling them that that like they will get bitten by that bug. Um, and they were like, geez, I don't know if I'd like that now, going training three nights a week. Um, but I would just say, just come along, come to the first few nights and you'll see, like, you'll enjoy it. Every night of training is enjoyable. Like, lads are, it's all encouragement. Um, you know, we have it, we have it, we have it good here. We're, we're training on hard ground all year round. There's none of the, the slogs or anything like that. Um, and we're playing in sunshine then when we do get to do it, so. I would just say that to, to any lads coming out, I would just say, just go along. You can always, you know, you, you only have to commit to the level that you're happy with and just see how it goes. And there's an incredible, um, just to speak from my experience, there's an incredible culture there, like in camaraderie, like the guys, no matter what standard you are, that always encourage you on. So I suppose the follow on from what you said is, you know, just if, if, if lads are coming over on their own, they should definitely look at, joining the club um you know and don't don't be kind of against not joining because you know they don't want to know anyone there everyone Absolutely. everyone's from ireland you know we're all the same yeah. boat and like that's another important point and i think anyone who might listen to this that would be thinking about coming over um that's another element of it like if you're training hard at home and you know you might just be playing on a, on a team that has uh, a very strong 15 or a very strong 20 and you mightn't see any game time and you're training all that time whereas here no matter what level you're at you're going to see game time so like with the Celts there now we have two senior teams there's an intermediate team there's a junior a a junior b and there's a social team so no matter what team you find yourself on you know you're going to be getting game time there's there's no sitting on the bench or anything like that um and as you said yourself, like there's no, there's, there's no egos. The senior A's on the team aren't treated any differently to, to the lads playing junior B. Uh, everyone's equal when they come out training and we, we, you, you get to play at your own level and it's competitive. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, great elements to the GA out here. You've played and you would probably would have grown up with Sean Shea. Um, what an absolute athlete and player. Was he always special and different from a young age or did that kind of only come on as you got older um well shawnee's always been super talented we always we always could, could see that from from as soon as he started playing underage with kinmare um from my own perspective like i would have been on say uh, if, when i was under 14 i would have been one of very few lads of the age for under 14 i think we had maybe like three or four um lads who were actually under 14 that time so we would have always had to to pull lads up from um you know under 12 and, and before and younger than that so like shawnee would have been in his first year under 12 when i would have been in my last year under 14 and he would have been playing and i would have been out center forward and shawnee would have been inside and shawnee was tiny like even for compared to the rest of the lads shawnee's age he would have been very small like i'm sure there's photos there of, of shawnee playing um, first or second year school football or even under 16 and a half and you know he, he'd have been up to some of the lads' shoulders um, which has probably benefited him in the long run because he would have had to to rely on you know the mental side of the game and, and being that yard or two ahead um, upstairs and, and, and rely on his skill set um, but like he, he was always what always stood out for me was just his 
um, his mindset and he was just always just tough as nails. It uh, didn't matter if he was marking like the other, the opposition's main fullback who would have been my age. Shawnee could have been on him and, and you just ping the ball into Shawnee. If you play a low ball or put a bounce in front of him, he would have won it. And um, like he mightn't have had the strength at that age, like he would have only been 10 or 11 even, um, but he'd give it off and he'd never do anything wrong. But um, always in his own age, he would have been, you know, the standout player. Um, but yeah, he's, he, he's been spectacular. He's been training like, um, like a county player since he was 10 or 11. Like I have a, a standout memory of, of, because I live, I literally live right on top of the, the football pitch there in, in, in Kinmare. Um, if, you, if you threw a rock outside my window now, it would land on, in, at midfield. And, um, Shawnee, I have a standout memory of Shawnee doing laps on Christmas Day. Um, and that was, just, that was just him, you know. Um, and he wouldn't have been doing that, you know, to, to show that he's doing it or anything like that. He'd have always just been like that. And in fairness, his brother, Dara, who's, who's a terrific footballer as well, and would have been on the minor team that won on All-Ireland, say for Shawnee's first All-Ireland at minor. The two of those boys, they would have always been down the field and, and Shawnee would always have a bag of footballs with him and taken freeze. So it's, it's really no surprise or no coincidence, um, you know, why he's at the level he's at today. Um, and then what you had in the last couple of years, especially even in the last two to three years now is, is this physical development. Um, and he's, yeah, he's, he's obviously one of the top players in the country at the moment and we're all very proud of him. Amazing. Yeah, no, what, what an athlete. I think we're only, we're only seeing the start of it. Hopefully himself and Clifford now can uh, see it through and we'll get North Ireland because it's uh, well overdue, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Look, before, just as a quick side note, I'd like to know myself, you know, I think that might, mightn't be any more like that, but before it was, you'd Kinmare and you'd Kinmare District. Is Kinmare is District completely gone now in the Championship? It is at senior level, yes. So um, Kinmare, we won the Intermediate back in 2016. Um, and funnily enough, that year, um, because we were Intermediate, we were, we were playing Temple Now in the Intermediate County Final. Um, so obviously both, both those teams were like the top intermediate teams at the time, um, but Kinmare District were amalgamated. So you had Kinmare and Temple Noe playing each other in the intermediate final, and then the Kinmare District got to the county final. So you, I think you actually had seven players from Kinmare starting, seven from Temple Noe, and I think there was one from Tusist, um, or it could be Kigarvan. One of them will, will bring me up for that one. But um, you know, so Temple Noe obviously won the intermediate then a couple of years later. Um, and have gone up senior. So you, you have Kinmare now and Templeno at senior level. And the other two clubs, then two Sist and Kilgarvin, um, both of them are playing with, with, with different amalgamations. So um, two Sist have opted to go and play with, with South Kerry and Kilgarvin are playing with East Kerry. So Kilgarvin would have um, Dono Sullivan down there who, who would have been corner forward for the, the UL Sigerson team there who got to the Sigerson Cup final. So he's playing with East Kerry and then you've a, a couple of boys, including my, my first cousin, Tyke Shukru, um, from two sis who are playing with South Kerry. So at senior level, uh, Kinmare District aren't there. Uh, God forbid, Kinmare uh, and Temple No got rele- or, rele- or, or Temple No got relegated from senior, and that discussion will come up again because the, the Kinmare District board still exists. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But at the moment now, there's no senior team for the district now. What's your feeling around people's artists coming? conception or perception out there that the PT market is is congested. Um, what's your opinion on that? 
it is it is like that's a fact it, it absolutely is congested um is it congested with qualified and um high level and top quality pts i'm not so sure so as they always say like the, cr- the cream rises to the top um i suppose there's one of the big issues in the industry is, is the lack of regulation in terms of people being able to provide a service um you know you wouldn't get that in teaching or or many other industries i don't think so that is an issue but um i think the, the most important thing is that people do their research um, and, you know, that they're, they're getting, if they're ever going to work with a personal trainer, they're getting one with a good track record and, and, and someone who's evidence-based and, um, you know, has that experience behind them. I've spoken to a few people about this. It's quite interesting to get their opinion. Um, do you think that, you know, as a personal trainer, you need to be in good shape in order to give advice or train clients? Um, you know, I say if I was going to someone, I do go to someone before, like you'd be kind of more inclined to go to someone that's in shape because they know what they're on about versus someone yeah, that's not. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose like if you look at it from, from a GA perspective, you know, if you're getting coached by someone who has a few All-Ireland medals in their back pocket as opposed to someone who's who's never really played the game, um, even if the, the fellow who's, who's never really played the game might, you know, know as much about it. Um, you're, you're probably going to, to give a bit more credibility to, to the fella who's been there and who's gone to the well and, and you know, has worn the jersey. Um, I don't think it's a prerequisite to be in good shape. I think it is important that um, as a personal trainer that you've at least experienced what you're expecting to, the client to go through um, because one of the more important soft skills of personal training is, is to be able to be empathetic and understand what your client is going through and, and being able to put yourself in those shoes. So from that perspective, I do think it is important, but um, at, a, at any given time, um, you know, it, I don't think it, it's really the be all and end all that they're in good shape because you have a lot of people who are in good shape that again, going back to our nature versus nurture conversation um, you know, they've, they have genetics on their side, but um they don't really have know, the experience the or whatever exactly yeah. exactly yeah no definitely it's, it's kind of again it's a bit of both you know you could like you said on the with the all-ireland you could have someone with a couple of all-ireland medals but mightn't have a record of working with people or might you know etc you know what i mean so it's just kind of i supposed to do your do your research before before committing um out of curiosity as well, how do you f- deal with clients who want to lose weight? You know, sometimes people could have low confidence. Um, and how do you kind of deal with that situation? In, how have you dealt with that situation if you have? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, people come to me um, with the goal of fat loss for a lot of different reasons. Um, and as you say, their low confidence oftentimes does come up. And... I suppose how, how I've dealt with that in the past is, is always just trying to find out what are people's why. Um, so someone might come to me and they say, look, I just, I really just need to need to lose a stone or I need to lose seven or eight kg. That's what I need to do. And it's kind of like, okay, why? Well, you know, if I could lose that now, I could fit into this suit, you know, I have a wedding at the end of the year and, or, you know, I just want to drop two dress sizes. It's like, okay, why is that important? You know, like, why, why would you like to do that? Well, I'll be feeling a bit more confident. It's okay. Why would you like to feel more confident? What impact is that going to have? And it's usually that answer. It's usually on like that third why that we get to the bottom of it. Um, and that can kind of be our, that'll, that'll be our North Star. That's what's going to orientate everything we're doing. We're like, 
okay, this is your objective goal, but essentially this is what we're, we're, what we're trying to do. We're trying to get here. And oftentimes it's actually just like as much as it comes down to, you know, understanding your nutrition and, and having those, you know, positive habits in place and, and, you know, getting your training set up and having, you know, the perfectly planned program, all of that is well and good, but often it comes down to identity change and it's essentially saying, okay, so this person who wants to lose five or six kg to fit into this suit, or, you know, maybe you're going on holiday at the end of the year, you want to look, look a certain way. What does that person do every day? Um, so how does that person maintain that shape? And it's like, okay, well, they go to the gym. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, they, they, they stay adequately hydrated. They get enough sleep. You know, they eat 80% of their food is coming from real foods. You know, maybe they track their nutrition. And it's like, okay, so that's the person who you want to be. Let's just start acting like that person. And then by default, all the changes start to come before you, be, you, you know, it's not like, okay, this is what you have to do for the next six weeks. It's like, who do we want to become? What does that person do? And it's usually just that identity change. So um, that's a big part of the process is figuring that out and, uh, and figuring out the, the behaviors to get you there and, and then putting the systems in place. What's your approach to social media? Like, did you develop kind of a plan in order to to deal with it or it was a kind of something that evolved as time went on uh no i'd love to say no i had a great um a great mapped out plan or blueprint but social media has been something that i've really just winged over the last couple of years and that's it's probably only in the last kind of year or so that i've um kind of appreciated the value of it and, and recognized the importance of it to be honest there's a lot of noise out there um, when it comes to personal trainers and I see more and more PTs now and online coaches doing business courses and, and, and how to sell rather than, you know, the next nutrition course or, or upskilling in terms of their actual knowledge of, of training and nutrition. And that has created a lot of noise out there. So there has been times where I've been a small bit allergic, but I do have to acknowledge that you know, if you can't sell, then ultimately you're going nowhere in, in terms of your business and you could be the best PT in the world. But if people don't know that or can't see it, then um, what good is that? So um, I've, I've done a few courses over the last couple of months. And when it comes to social media, for me, like everything that I put out, I just have to ask myself just one question and that kind of orientates everything. And that's, is this adding value? Um, you know, are people either being entertained by this? Um, are they learning more about me? um or are are they actually learning something um which will help them with their training or nutrition um, and the reason i say are they learning more about me is because what i've learned and, and what i found is that people buy people and um they're not looking to just buy your program they're they're looking to invest in you and, and and they want to work with you so that's kind of something that i've been trying to do a small bit more of it is kind of put myself a small bit more out there um and that then attracts more like-minded people to me. Um, and then what, what that has a knock-on effect of you're, you're going to be working with people who you want to work with as opposed to, you know, trying to serve all the masses, which I think everyone kind of tries to do at the start. And you can't be, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You can't be picking and choosing who you want to work with to, to begin with. You need that experience. But I'm kind of at a place now where I know who um, I best serve. I know who I like working with. And... Um, like that now i think that's that's the best kind of uh, a relationship to to achieve to achieve anything in in relation to health and fitness definitely no definitely it's kind of you kind of find your niche after a while don't you after a couple of years that's exactly um, 
You you mentioned something there, and I think it's the, the proper moment, moment to bring it up. You said, you know, getting yourself out there, and I was asked to bring it up um, about the fit meals. You you're uh, splashing on social media. Um, what's your feeling on that? Are you do you like it or or is it? To be honest, the, the ready made meals are probably you know, a godsend for you in in regards to time management. Yeah, they absolutely are. Um, no, fit meals have been great, and um, I actually. I, I was on a, I, I got a plan with Fit Meals probably about a year ago now. And um, I, I know Owen Cantwell who, um, who set up Fit Meals and I just went back to him with a bit of feedback. Um, I was like, this is, um, you know, this is what I found, you know, great about the meals. This is, you know, what could, what could be improved. And I just kind of went to him as a friend from, from a good position and kind of, you know, where I'm coming from, from a professional perspective as well. And um, it was one of those is like, okay, this is great. Let's keep this going. And um, that's, that's where I've got to where that's how I've got to where I am with them now at the moment. But um, like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anything out there, you know, that I don't believe in. Um, and like, there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, having your meals prepared for you, especially for, for people out here who, um, you know, we live very busy lives um everyone seems on the go all the time most people are training in the evenings or have their own things on and um it 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 just makes sure that you're getting in that you know your 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 nutrient diversity and that you're 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 not having to track your meals and it's saving time shopping cooking and cleaning so it's kind of a no-brainer so um yeah the um especially the kelts boys now they're they're quick to remind me of um any of the professional photos that go up that I'm, if I'm standing out of line now thinking I'm going into modeling or something like that. Uh, yeah. Are, are you going into modeling? Yeah. That, that's another no, question. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. No. Oh, okay. Perfect. The Fit Meals, are they, they're an Irish company, are they? They are. Yeah. So they were set up by, um, on Cadwell. So he's a tip man. Um, and they're being run by a girl called Levi. Now she's, um, she's actually a dope. She came over here as a teacher and now she's working full time as the fit meals manager they have another girl in there kieran nolan um who is um another irish girl she's um she's a registered nutritionist and uh, she came over here as a teacher so yeah there's a strong irish connection with it and um yeah i they're they're looking at expanding they were only in, in dubai and they're all across the uae you know so they're going from strength to strength which is great to see Brilliant, brilliant, especially yeah, that's that's a market as well. There's so many companies out there, and it's, it's great to see a Irish company, you know, really, really doing well out here. Um, we're we're coming towards the end now. Um, and look, thanks for for taking time out. I appreciate it. But in regards to you know calorie tracking, um, previously before you you got the meals, you used to use any apps? Yeah, so I I I would have used my fitness pal. Um, I'd still use my fitness pal, so you can you can still log in the the food the, the the fit meals had the bar scanner on them so you can still log those in so i still would from time to time track what i'm eating just to kind of check in um i probably do it once or twice a week just to make sure that um everything i'm eating is kind of you know in and around what i'm expecting it to be anytime then i have a, a specific body composition goal um i do track using my fitness pal so um it's just you know it for me it's it's a no-brainer um it's like if you know if you're, if you're trying to save money um you know you're, you're going to keep an eye on your account you're going to see what's going out you're going to see what's coming in um so yeah for, for me tracking is a, is a really really useful skill um 
I mean, of course, you can lose weight without tracking. Um, but for me, it just it makes a lot of sense to, to recognize what it is you're taking in, what you have to take in to stay the same weight, um, what changes you can make, um, and just bringing an awareness to that is a, is a really useful skill. Definitely. No, definitely, 100%. Um, in regards to you know, difficult situations and dealing with anxiety and, and worry. Um, look, that's part of everyone's life, no matter what, what people say. What have you found to be the good or useful mechanisms in order to deal with, with these? Um, writing things down. It's, it's something and like, you know, there's, you, you hear it all the time um, on, on these different podcasts podcasts and, and you know write down these things you're grateful for um, and journaling and different things like that and I've experimented with it and it's it's something that you know at times I, I can fall off but especially in, in those situations if I have found myself making a big decision or feeling slightly anxious about something just getting it out of your head and getting it onto the paper um, and just trying to clarify those thoughts what's actually going on what's the worst that could actually happen here um, would that be so bad? What, we, what would you do if, if that happened? And just actually, you know, getting that out onto paper, I found to be quite effective. Quite, quite interesting now you said that because that's something I, um, you know, I've experienced before and use and just the power of it's amazing. And you, be tr- you try to tell other people about it and I suppose they don't really kind of use it, but it's mm-hmm. definitely highly beneficial in it. It's kind of the brain dump, whatever, whatever way you want to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. And like that'll even come back to, you know, our, our, what we've discussed at the very start in terms of scheduling and different things like that. I can often find myself overwhelmed, say a few messages come in or maybe a few people have reached out about coaching. And then all of a sudden I have a, a task this week for the masters and, and different things that come up with work, just writing them all down. Um, and, and like that now I have it right here, just a small little bit of a journal and that's all it takes. Just, jotting them down um, and once they're there on paper as you said that brain dump it just gets it out of his head I, I there's a there's a quote I've heard it's like our brain is, is great for thinking through problems but it's terrible for storing them um, so if you can just get them out there and, and work through them like that um, yeah I'm, I'm sure most people would 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 get most uh, great use from that do you practice visualization whether consciously or, or subconsciously it's you know it's something that i have done in the past and i have found to be very effective um and i'll be the first to admit that it's not something i've been very consistent with um i've used it a lot in terms of sport um it's interesting enough actually it was james o'donnell who i heard discussing it recently um on the you know, football pod was it football pod yeah, yeah. Um, and he was talking about negative visualization, which was a concept that I hadn't really heard before. That was um, interesting, actually. Yeah, that was very, yeah. very interesting how he developed so that he, or he approached that way. Yeah. So he, he, he was saying that he would visualize the worst thing that could happen or if the worst possible start he could make to the game, say he fumbled the first ball or the defender gets a hand in, picks the first wide, how he'd deal with that. Um, and that's kind of been something that I've started to do the last couple of weeks just to kind of try that. And I suppose like any of these techniques, it's kind of trial and error and seeing what works for you. Um, but it, it's definitely something that's been super effective and I've, I've used it in my personal life um, and with the business and everything else and seeing where I want to get to. Um, and 
whether you know it's that the reticular activation system that you you go down the the, the lines of talking about or um what is this the, the law of attraction there's definitely something yeah. to it anyway definitely no there definitely is um just got a question in there from someone as well what would um in regards to recovery what do you use to, to help with recovery so when it comes to recovery for me um i wouldn't be big on these small little techniques or anything like that i'd always look at like what are your principles um, and i'd always kind of look at that things um if, if they're not right there's no amount of um you know cryotherapy or uh, deep tissue massage or anything like that that are going to mitigate the effects so um just managing sleep nutrition making sure that you know that you're you're not depriving yourself of, of calories like if you're for for ga players now they're going to be in season pretty soon and we're in season over here it's not the time to be um in a calorie deficit or depriving yourself of energy because that's essentially energy you're taking away from the recovery process and your, your body's ability to, re- to recover from your training. Um, so making sure that you have an adequate amount of calories and then looking at the quality of those calories, making sure there's enough protein in them. So those are the two macro ones for me. Then besides that, active recovery, I think is something that's, that's really effective. Um, I often program that in for my clients. That might be like 15, 20 minutes of low intensity cardio on the bike um, or a small bit of mobility work getting into the pool or the sea. Um, a lot of these things as well, when it comes to recovery, it's actually our perception of how effective they are is, is, is going to dictate how effective they are. Um, so some, some players, <laughs> some clients I have as well, and I've had this discussion with them, they'll go into the sea and they'll say like, I, I'm just, I, if I go in for a sea dip now after this session, I'll be fine. And I'd be like, yeah, absolutely go for it. Um, I was like, I couldn't think of anything worse. I'll be in the pool now in the nice warm pool in the Kinmer Bay or if it's over here now, um, you know, in, in the, the 30 degrees up in the pool here, I, I'd much prefer that. But um, it, it's your kind of your, your general perception and your feeling around it. Um, so, yeah, they, they would be the, the, the ones for me. Um, sleep, nutrition and active recovery. Um, and then after that, like you're looking at the kind of the smaller things you're kind of looking at maybe the extra i wouldn't even go as far to say one percent but um 0.5 percent where you're looking at your cryotherapy or deep tissue massage or um any of those other modalities that would be that would be lower on the the hierarchy of the hierarchy of importance when it comes to recovery so we're going to finish it up with two questions um and i'm i'm, I'm pretty sure this question is going to get in a bit, a bit of hot water but we'll uh we'll throw it to you and i got a question in from um Someone in the, the Celts uh, community. Who is the thought. biggest inspiration in Gaelic football in Dubai? Um, good question. Um, do you want the mock answer or do you want the real answer? Now? <laughs> real answer, <laughs> if you're cracking it. Because <laughs> the mock answer is definitely being asked. <laughs> it's definitely the person who asked this question. Um, no, I suppose, like I said to you earlier on as well, I, you know, I've had the privilege of, of playing with a lot of good footballers out here um, from a lot of different counties, which I suppose lads back home mightn't have the opportunity to. Obviously, I've played with some great footballers back home and I've learned a lot from them. Um, 
but out here, I suppose the standout one really has been um, has been Alan Freeman, and it's really just because of his attitude. Um, he came out, I think, towards the end of 2019. Um, I think it was maybe just as things were opening up after that initial lockdown, and I think we had like a challenge game against Sharjah, and he was only after arriving a week or two beforehand, and he came up, and uh, the following September then, or whenever we, we came back more or less to full-on training, um he actually do you know what it was the it was the year previous to that because he got a he got a more or less the full season before lockdown before he'd come over um but like obviously alan has played in the the highest level at home and things like that but he's had absolutely no airs of grace about him he's he was he'd be there three nights a week early to training driving lads on um so it's just his commitment level i suppose i found um the most inspirational and, and um, the lack of an ego there, really, um, as well as, you know, obviously his, his raw talent. Um, I suppose, yeah, so he, he'd have been the standout one. Um, Liam Sheehan, I suppose, on the pitch is someone I've always kind of looked up to. He's just a real leader. Um, you know, he's always the kind of fella that you turn to when your back's up against the wall. And he'll always, you know, if you're under pressure, whether you're a point up, and, and trying to hold on the ball and trying to break the line or a point down and needing a score. He's the kind of fellow who'll step up and he'll get on the ball and he, he'll take it to the opposition. So um, you have those two players. Um, I have to say, I think the most talented player I've played with, though, is, he, I'm not sure if he was here now during your time, Jamie, but um, would have been Peter Hughes from Tyrone. He would have played underage with Tyrone and maybe a few McGrath um, or... What's their equivalent the McGrath Cup up in the uh, McKenna Cup, is it? The McKenna Cup. Is it yeah. McKenna Cup? Yeah. Uh, uh, that's right. So he would have played a couple of games with Tyrone there, but like he was literally like a ballerina on the football pitch. It was amazing. Like he used to just make fools out of lads. I used to dread any night that we'd be up against him at training. And so yeah, I don't know if that that's that, that was kind of a top three there, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um just just before we finish it, I know I've said this two or three times now, but w- would you be kind of of the opinion that the standard out here was say for the, the the senior A um and even senior B as well, it's it's be close enough to inter-county standard, would it? It probably would. It probably would, yeah. In terms of raw talent. Now I think maybe lads lifestyle factors over here. Um, if you if you were to put <laughs> if you were to put the top fifteen up against um, the top fifteen at home at the moment in terms of conditioning levels, now they're in the national league. But even though we're in season, but um, yeah, like I mean, you only have to look at say our senior eighteen there, who I'm playing with at the moment. I think um, there might only be maybe two or three of us who haven't had any senior intercounty experience, which is which is unreal for the likes of myself there now who's, who's never played at that level to get to play with these lads and, um, you know, and, and try and match their level. So, yeah, I think, um, and I think Alan Freeman discussed it as well on a podcast with you previously in terms of um, having a, a Middle East representation or even, uh, or, or similar, similar to the likes of New York there, London, like if you were to put a squad together, it would be, I'm sure it would be very competitive. Yeah, geez, that'd be a serious, uh, serious team if, if something like that was to, was to happen. Right, we'll, we'll finish it up now with this question. And I always throw this to guys. Uh, what are two daily non-negotiables for you? Um, non-negotiables, I suppose, would be um, to move. So, like, movement is, is just super important. I would train most days, um, but even on my rest days, 
I'll get a nice bit of movement in. Um, so yeah, daily movement is, is super important. Um, and I suppose what kind of stems on from that then would be um, like a gratitude towards us even being able to move, move your body. Like there's, it's kind of something like if you can kind of bring it back down to earth and recognize what your body is able to do. Um, and I think this is something that I discuss with my clients a lot instead of, you know, dwelling on what the body can't do or, or any of its limitations. It's, it's kind of focusing on what it can do and different things like that. So um, that would definitely be one. Um, and the second would be just to learn something every day. So um, again, part of that journaling process, I'll, I'll write down one thing that I've learned every day. Like, and you know, there's, there's never a day that'll go by where you haven't learned something from someone. It might be just a conversation, you know, it mightn't even be something as part of a course or something you've read, but, um, that, that would, that would be always something that I, I try to take away from each day. Brilliant. Brilliant. Look, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there because I know I, I kept you for slightly over than what we, we, we no agreed, but, um, look, Dean, thanks so much for taking time out coming on inside view podcast. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and best luck going forward. Thanks very much, Jamie. It was a pleasure. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Dean. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute any way possible. Our email is info at ontheballteambuilding.com and you'll find us on all social media platforms as well. Just search an Inside View podcast or On The Ball Team Building. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred unit fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.